service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast and a little bit embarrassed to open their podcast the way I just did. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. There's nothing I can do about it when you open a show this way, except <laughs> you just, can't help me. Just sit back and watch. I hoisted myself on my own petard. That's what happened today. You're a voice acting professional. I mean, you, you take those kind of risks. I would say that I am not a voice acting professional because no one has ever paid me to voice act. I mean, you're the you're the main impressioneer on the hit podcast Friendly Fire. Uh, you have a number of great impressions mm. on this very show, The Greatest great Generation. Is a, is a funny term. <laughs> I think it's what you're known for. Adam, we tried all day to solicit five-star review questions for our hit open Marin segment, Ben and Adam answer questions from our Apple podcast reviews. As far as I can tell, we had no takers. Nobody had a question for us that was burning so hard that they uh, that they would go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review for it. John Adams's reply was more of a a comment and less of a question in wondering whether or not uh, a five-star review was uh, was compulsory in getting yeah. a question read on air. Uh, yeah. Always cutting that John Adams. Never not a little bit cutting with uh, Chief O'Brien at work cartoonist John Adams. That's the brand promise of Chief O'Brien at work. You yeah. know what you're going to get and uh, I know what I'm going to put into my mute filter uh, which is does it have to is the is the new phrase to be screened? Uh, you posted a screenshot of your mute filters the other day, and that was the first time that I saw that that wasn't just a bit. No, that you it's actually the... do put phrases into your mute. Absolutely, on is a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you remember the phrases that pays?es Let's see. Very disappointed that. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you say? Yeah. A lot of things in that neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, that's a shitty neighborhood, Ben. That's probably <laughs> the only neighborhood we could afford at this yeah. point. It's like speaking of brand promises, do you know the brand promise of the greatest generation? It's that we didn't know that. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, we don't do research. We, uh, and that's, here's why. I mean, I don't know if we've said before why we don't. It's because it's impossible to do an amount of research that would limit the why didn't use of the world. Yeah. And I think also our goal is to have a fun conversation. And if it's just about yeah. finding the most number of facts, that's not as fun as speculating about how many balls wharf has y'all know which shows you can go to for that kind of information it's not yeah. this one it's down the street <laughs> adam uh so in lieu of a uh answering questions from our apple podcast review marin i thought uh i thought we could do a raskin open <laughs> it sounds like someone's been for a walk i have just had the most remarkable experience 
For a few moments, I actually felt the air currents beneath my wings. The exhilaration of soaring above the treetops. <laughs> oh, oh wait, everybody's here. I went on a uh, social distance walk with a friend the other day. Yeah. And we went down to Echo Park Lake uh, where, uh, as of this recording, the birds are all having babies. The birds are are fucking like rabbits. Lots of goslings around and a few ducklings, Adam. Hey. And uh, ducklings are really fun to, to watch, you know, learn how to be ducks. And uh, we sat uh, we sat on benches that were uh, more than six feet apart. The Raskin benches, <laughs> yeah, on the Raskin benches. And we were watching uh, some like two grown ducks who were like fully like fighting each other. And one of them was definitely like, definitely a girl mallard duck. Mm-hmm. You know, like the mallard where there's the the male is green, has got some some green feathering. And then the the girl has kind of a more mottled brown feathering. Right. This is an animal for which uh, the man species is the better looking of the right. of the two. Yeah. Yeah. A dynamic not reflected in either of our marriages, but uh, <laughs> that's how they do it in their family. <laughs> uh, in in my in my marriage, I'm the one with the cloaca. <laughs> um, this mallard was in a fight with another duck that I'm. I think was a different species of duck because it didn't really look like a girl mallard or a boy mallard. It was a bra- another brown duck and they were fully fucking fighting, which was crazy because she had like the the mallard had maybe two dozen babies, like a real big school of little ducklings Whoa. who were kind of caught in the middle of this fight and I was I, like it. this unfolded like a like an epic war movie the way this went down because we're watching these two ducks fight and the babies like panic and try and figure out what to do when dad the other mallard duck comes like out of the trees or something like swoops in and starts fighting alongside his his main squeeze against this against this third duck this unknown species duck and the babies got so freaked that they that they like left. They they started they hopped off the lily pads that they were hanging out on and started swimming for some nearby reeds. And the fight was going on uh, rough enough that the three of those ducks all went off in another direction. And we just watched as the babies like were basically abandoned by their family, uh, swimming off into these reeds. And then the mom duck comes back, finds the babies. And then the other, the attacking duck finds her and the, and the attack goes on. <laughs> it was unbelievable. We, we wound up staying and watching until the dad duck like found his way back to where they all were. And ben, this is what happens when you tear up an entire loaf of bread and then sprinkle it onto a group <laughs> of two dozen baby ducklings. I, I will tell you, it takes everything in my being not to scold people for tearing up loaves of bread and feeding them to the ducks. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an old person's hobby right there. For some, yeah. it's all they have. It's all they have. It's not good for the ducks, but uh, <laughs> apparently it's good enough for the old people that you can't get in trouble for it. Uh, don't, don't turn this into another one of your classic Benjamin R. Harrison 
screeds against the olds. <laughs> you know what grinds my gears? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was amazing. It was. Uh, I mean, I was convinced at certain points that these babies were going to be motherless uh, mm. or fatherless or parentless entirely. Were you at thinking different of, points. of getting in on this, like physically? I mean, it was mostly happening over the water, but a couple of times the, the fight did make it up onto the grass and I probably could have like intervened, but I don't know what I want. What I would Area do with man an angry gets duck. Giardia from Echo Park Lake. <laughs> Area man has ass kicked by duck. <laughs> <laughs> we usually choose not to name the victim uh, out of respect to their families, but in this case, <laughs> we must join the humiliation. <laughs> Area Star Trek podcaster. Mm. Humiliated there by duck. What's the most humiliating part of that <laughs> description, I wonder? Hard to say. It was very dramatic. And uh, it was kind of amazing that it all just like went like like it told a whole story right in front of me, you know? You know, I mean, we've learned this from, from even hit summer blockbusters, Ben. Nature uh, finds a way. <laughs> sure does. Sure does. I, th I think that these ducks know something about three-act structure that <laughs> even Star Trek could stand to learn something from. And uh, I really appreciated that about it. Wow. <laughs> the B story of this is just you and your distant walk companion watching and doing nothing. <laughs> Wisecracking at the duck's expense. As like, headless like ducklings so are it. being... Tossed into the Echo Park Lake, <laughs> one by one. Yeah, when they when they drain and drag the floor of that lake, a uh, couple of years from now they'll find lots of discarded firearms that have been used in murders and headless ducklings. We're gonna need as many ducks as we can get so that they can uh, help us against the upcoming murder hornet apocalypse. Oh yeah, yeah. Ducks love eating murder hornets. One of the many apocalypses mm -hmm. of the year 2020. Things are not going as bad for the crew at Deep Space Nine, though, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> they are going for uh, us here in 2020 America. Do you they're want to- going, uh... They're going as well on DS9 as our show is with that pivot. <laughs> <laughs> want to get into this episode? Yes, let's. It's Deep Space Nine, Season 6, Episode 16, Change of Heart. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. It's the 500th episode of Star Trek ever is this episode. Wow. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. I think someone miscounted. You must have done some research to find that out. 500th is what I read. 525,600 Star Treks. Yeah. It's been a long road. <laughs> Getting from 1 to 500. <laughs> you want to start your 500th episode with something that reminds people of the prestige and grandeur of Star Trek. Mm. So what better thing than a game of tango in Quark's bar? Is that a joke? Do I look like I'm joking? You can speak to this, Ben, about how much fun it is to watch someone else gamble. 
<laughs> this this episode definitely asks you to buy that that is a thing. I know uh-huh. it is for some people. Like there's like World Series of Poker yeah. that people watch. Uh, I mean, there's a bunch of Ferengis sitting around with like hooded sweatshirts and sunglasses that have holograms that make it look like their eyes are cobras. I am famously a degenerate gambler from from back in the day, and I can tell you <laughs> that uh, my Levels of depravity do not get to the point where I enjoy watching gambling at all. Wow, I do really? not like to watch. There, who who does though? They like watching it in rounders, right? Sure. I mean, there's there's a type of gambler that really enjoys it, and I'll admit on occasion, like at the you know toward the end of a poker tournament that I've spent hours playing, if I get knocked out, I will stay out of curiosity to see. Who might win, but hmm. but I'm not like at a table game or something. Like I'm I'm not going to hang out and watch my friends play blackjack, for example. <laughs> you would ask your friends to watch it though. <laughs> Craps is the only game that's fun for an audience, I would say. But that's only hmm. if the audience understands how it works, which which very few do. It's a almost totally incoherent, inscrutable gambling game. My understanding of craps begins and ends with if you want to win you gotta play <laughs> i mean you just like hanging around uh craps pits because you want to blow on people's dice yeah i do have a kink for blowing on fists <laughs> the design of of tango is fucking mental right like there's like piles of different shaped cards there's square cards and and uh, cards that looks like you could insert them into the Viewmaster. Yeah. The entire board rotates. It's not just like a... Yeah. There's not like a spinning ball in a thing. It's like everything rotates. There are so few games with wheels, right? Yeah. Like, what is there? There's life. There's Life roulette. has a wheel. Yeah, I guess... I guess of the gambling games, there is... There's, there are wheel-based games, but... The wheel sure does make it fun, right? Yeah. It seems like the wheel also rotates both ways, which I feel like would get really confusing. Right. I wonder if anybody has ever like actually like back designed Tongo based on what we see people doing in the show. Like what is confront? What is evade? What is uh, what is putting an index on the margin or whatever? I really like the game and I really like what we know of it just based purely on what context we're given. Like the vocabulary involved seems very authentic given the cultures that enjoy playing it. I mean, you don't need to know how it works to get a sense for who's winning and who's losing. Right. It's a fun like writerly background thing, I think, to have people doing to get them together that doesn't feel totally fucked out, you know? (laughs) Right. And... I think that like with a real game, there's a temptation to try and actually like have like an actual scenario play out in it if you're depicting like a poker game, you know? That's the danger, right? Like you couldn't have them play a real game because you'd have to keep track very carefully of who's up and who's down and whose turn it is and stuff. But with a You almost have to determine the order of the cards in the deck in the scripting process or something. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that in this case. Yeah. I think that's a great point. So Dax is playing this with a bunch of Ferengis and Quark, and uh, up on the second level of Quarks, O'Brien and Worf are- Hold on a second. I just came up with something. 
Okay. Worf is kind of a Tongo cuck, isn't he? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> just uh, just swooping in for the title of the episode. <laughs> it just came to me. Uh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Great. O'Brien's like uncomfortably standing next to Worf like, are you sure you just want me to watch with you? <laughs> Do you want like a tissue for your tears or anything or No, that's part of it. That's part of it. Worf is like sticking himself through the bars of the balcony of Quark's bar like to feel to feel something. Um uh, they're betting on Dax. Uh yeah. Worf Worf is very confident that she's going to win this game and O'Brien's like what are you talking about? Like like she's the Cleveland Browns and Quark is the New England Patriots. Yeah, I mean the matter of the streak is brought up as a defense. The yeah. idea that Quark has won over two hundred games of this. What chance does Dax have in in breaking this streak? But Worf has a lot of faith in his wife's abilities. The faith that Worf has in Dax being planted here as the A story and the nascent interest that Chief O'Brien has in Tongo being planted here as the B story. Very seldom do you get the A and the B kicking off in one scene. Pretty fun. Yeah. Dax is unable to break Quark's streak and something happens here, Ben, that is maybe Quark's most unforgivable sin. <laughs> It's, He's got a long list. He allows Dax to believe that she's won and then slow rolls his winning hand onto her as she's like gathering the money out of the pot. Yeah. That is you like you can't do that if you're gambling in real life against people. You will get <laughs> a beat down in the parking lot. <laughs> what kind of fucking mobbed up card games are you playing in, man? It's just something you understand when you play social gambling games is you never slow roll like that. It's taken with great offense. There's some tr strategery to being like, well, I'll call your thing. Right. And raise it. That move is not allowed at a at a poker table. It's called string raising. That's what I'm it's saying. For that very it's for that very reason. You can't do a move like that because it, it gives you information you shouldn't be having. You have to have all your chips in the hand at the same time. The aftermath of this is not terrible though, right? Because uh, Dax doesn't really give that much of a shit about losing. And uh, yeah. they go, she and Worf head back to quarters and are doing their nightly routine where they each brush their hair <laughs> and... Uh, and Worf I like how they each have a little vanity. It's <laughs> yeah. fun. Worf's vanity includes a, a little uh, a little crash, a little Kalesh crash. Uh-huh. Kale crash. Yeah, Dax is like trying to have a conversation with him and realizes that uh, that he is he is in communication with a higher power. Uh, so she she has to she has to stop talking to him, and he turns around and says, "I told you when we got together, baby, you were gonna have to share me with every warrior in this quadrant." This pre bedtime routine pivots into a pre fucking routine, mm. which which came as a surprise to me. I thought uh, I thought Worf already blasted up in that balcony. 
<laughs> watching the game. It's not the case. Instead, he saved uh, it. I don't feel like talking anymore. He hops under the giant bearskin comforter that he has. Yeah. On his bed. They definitely have like a sort of Genghis Khan war tent in a movie kind of bed Great setup. Yeah. It just looks way too hot. Yeah. I would I mean they actually talk about their their non compatible temperatures later on in this episode, but I don't see how <laughs> I don't see how uh Dax is comfortable with this at all. No. It looks awful. <laughs> yeah. They get woken up in the wee hours by Major Kira. Who needs them both to come up to ops? Uh, this is a, a great bit of military efficiency that their marriage has built in here. Is that Major Kira mm-hmm. doesn't need to summon both officers? She can just summon one, and she knows both will show up. Worf is a little later than Dax because uh, when when Kira wakes them up with the message, he's like, "I did not urinate after intercourse, therefore." <laughs> I am in grave danger of a UTI. <laughs> That's why you see him uh, chugging the cranberry juice mm-hmm. for the rest of the mission. Yeah. Everybody assumes it's blood wine, and that's how he gets away with it. Warriors drink. Golden The cut. Golden So, the Starfleet intelligences have been receiving uh, encrypted communiques from a Cardassian double agent, uh, Lasarin, who has been sending them like in, in incredibly valuable information about what the Dominion is up to. But now he wants a face-to-face meeting. And uh, there's some fun OPSEC in this. He's going to like beam a communication thing to a specific coordinates outside the Badlands. And so somebody needs to be there in person to receive them. And so that's going to be Worf and Dax. It's a road trip, Ben. It's a road trip and a runabout because all the all their good ships are are off doing stuff. Yeah. I guess Cisco's in command of the D right now? Is that? Yeah, it used to be. What's going on? Dax would get those missions. Or Worf. And then she'd get rewarded with those giant pipes. <laughs> now now it's Cisco getting all those pipes. You don't throw something like this away. So they head out to the Badlands and the and this road trip starts like many husband and wife road trips, which is just trying to get the banter going in the car. Probably have to put on a podcast or something later, but for right now, it it would feel bad if we couldn't just have a conversation with each other. Yeah, save the podcast for when you really need it. <laughs> Thing is, Dax and Worf don't listen to the same ones, so it's just another reason to argue. It's no fun. Yeah. You ever do that thing where you find a, a third kind of podcast that neither of you listen to? Yeah, and then none, neither of you are happy. Because you aren't listening to what you really want to listen to? Yes. Compromise. (laughs) Yeah. They use the time to plan their honeymoon, and they have what I believe to be a pretty common marital confrontation here about the, the nature of a trip and the many forms it can take. I think, personally, I'm a vacation man. When I travel, I like to go and relax. And uh, this is different from my wife, who happens to be like a a more tourist-oriented trip taker. She wants to see and experience. She wants to do all of the all of the things that you do when you go to Pisa, right? And this is uh, this is familiar to me watching Dax and Worf argue about their honeymoon because Dax is a vacation honeymooner, 
and Worf seems yeah. interested in making it a trip, an experience. He wants to suffer. She wants to be indulged. Right. And there's not like a midpoint between those two. You, uh, <laughs> That's a binary. I mean, you could extrapolate that into uh, the marital bedroom fairly neatly, I think. <laughs> I guess in the marital bedroom, she's the one doing all the suffering because of that extremely overheating fur blanket that they have to right. sleep under. Right. And the two loathed cocks. <laughs> I mean, those are, those are loathed for her pleasure, Adam. Dax has already made a decision. It's Casparian Prime for them. The vacation capital of the Hovarian Cluster. And Worf quickly agrees. His agreement is so fast that it makes Dax kind of question this overall personality change that, that he's demonstrated lately. He's just far too agreeable to things. It's almost as if he's been married for a very long time in the way he's just kind of avoiding the conflicts whenever possible. He's been married for a very long time and in quarantine for most of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I kind of I got the feeling that he'd like read one book about how to be married. Yeah. And was just like following the instructions to the letter and not adapting them to his lifestyle. I have to make certain adjustments. In my lifestyle. Unfortunately, for as agreeable as Worf has been, he also does the kind of scorekeeping that you just can't you <laughs> you can't ever admit to doing the kind of scorekeeping he does in this conversation because he starts doing the list. And look who's talking. And you can't do yeah. the list at your partner because that is a disaster. You can't do the list and you can't bust your wife's chops mid argument. Like like, you could bust your wife's chops if part of your relationship, and that's a fun thing you guys do, but introducing the bits into the argument does not work. Right. I didn't expect you to surrender so quickly. Surrender. Bad word. Back at Casa de O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. It's Bashir and O'Brien having their own argument over what to do with their free time. Yeah, Bashir shows up in his evening wear. He's uh, ready to engage in his uh, one of his spy thriller hollow suite programs. But the chief is is hitting the books. He's studying up on Tongo because he's obsessed with the idea of beating Quark at Tongo. This doesn't seem like the sort of game that you learn by sitting with an instruction manual. You yeah. know, like this seems like exactly the kind of game you need to go into a hollow suite and practice. For real. I think Kalamini's performance here is really admirable because I think that there's a writer mistake in the choice they make in this episode, which is I don't think that O'Brien is filled with the kind of hubris of a guy who goes to an NBA game and goes, you know, I'd like to take Michael mm -hmm. Jordan on one on one, mm -hmm. you know, like. It's not really his character, but somehow he he carries this across and makes you believe you know, that this is what he's fixated on right now. It could so easily work more neatly with his personality if it were made into more of an engineering problem, right? If if O'Brien is a person who likes to solve problems, yeah. who studies things and then fixes them or fi finds more efficient ways to do them, like I could see a game like this being very intriguing to someone like him, but there is no such parallel drawn between the interest here and and his character. 
Instead, it's about kneecapping Quark. Right. Like, like he yeah. wants Quark to lose. That's his motivation. Yeah. But he also, like, has never been, like, he's never been in, like, the top two of characters that hate Quark. That's always going to be Odo and Kira. Yeah. I mean, you'd think that it was Quark's fault that that he served a lifetime sentence in a, in a mind prison <laughs> with how much he wants to get back at him. I want to beat Quark. He wants to stick it to Quark. And the doctor is persuaded to at least try a game of tango for this reason. All right, let's play. I'll deal. This is my favorite part of the episode, is is Bashir glancing at the instructions for this very complex game and going like, all right, I'm ready to play. (laughs) (laughs) Skipping the two-hour Settlers of Catan bullshit that you have to sit through every time you play it once a year to figure out how it works. And by the time you've sat through that, you've had like two and a half beers and you're already kind of not equal to the task of playing Settlers of Catan. I tip my hat at the complicated board game players in our lives. Uh, We're friends with many of them, Ben, but I just, I don't have the energy for that. (laughs) Before the lockdown started, I played a game of Monopoly with an eight-year-old and I was like, this is... More fun than I remember, but I also don't see myself playing another game of Monopoly anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, that was you in hour one. I would have liked to have checked in on hour four, Benjamin R. Harrison. Yeah, and and it was like me playing the game of Monopoly full time and her like playing it for three seconds, then like running and getting a stuffed animal and showing that to me, uh, you know, then telling me about a movie she saw, then playing her hand. <laughs> You're Monopoly Dungeon Master also. You were, you were doing it yeah, all. Yeah, I was doing it all. Making sure that, that, that a kid doesn't steal from the oh, bank. Yeah. That, Kids will try anything. That should have been your job primarily. In the runabout, they get their FaceTime from Lacerin, this Cardassian who is uh, betraying his people uh, in order to, I guess, stick it to the Dominion. We don't really get his motivations, do we? We don't, but his attitude is such that I liked him immediately. Yeah. <laughs> he was very put off by the entire circumstance. He got the one Klingon in Starfleet, which had to be a really unpleasant surprise. Why did they have to send a Klingon? I'm a trill. Does that make you feel any better? I like this kind of vibe to a character on this show. Like, this person is extremely stressed out. Their life is in danger they need to work quickly. They're impatient with these new people he's being asked to trust. Yeah. This seems very real. Yeah, it does. And I think also real that a Starfleet who lives a comparatively comfortable life and isn't worried about every single person around them would have like a, a bit of a hurdle to get over empathy wise with somebody like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and Starfleet being Starfleet, uh, they just eat up all the shit <laughs> that he's doling out to them. Tells him that, uh, of course, we'll meet you on this planet you're fleeing to. Of course, we'll land the shuttle there in the jungle and walk in. It's fine. Just tell us where to be and when. This mission is uh, is getting more complicated all the time. But uh, but they're game for it. Dax is like, is there any chance you'd want to uh, abscond to Casparian Prime? I mean, that would really, <laughs> like, that'd be very convenient for us. Yeah. You could uh, probably get a second hotel room. I'm not really sure if it's in the budget, uh, but that's kind of where we were headed anyways. 
Yeah, there is uh, not a lot of collaboration on this plan at all. It's Lysarin telling them what the plan is and to be there or be square. And uh, they need to agree to it now because they're all three of them are going to go radio silent and, and they need to stick to this right. once they do. He, is, he, he basically tells them like, on this day at this time, I'm going to leave the compound and walk into the jungle. And if you're not there to meet me, they're going to kill me. And this great information about where all the founders in the Alpha Quadrant are and what they're up to will be lost. That's great information. Yeah. I would pay top dollar for that information. I would rent a guy a hotel room on Kasparian Prime for information like that. I might stick a bigger ship and a larger crew on an information <laughs> on an information gathering mission like this. I might dispatch, say, a warship with a cloaking device into Cardassian space for a mission like that. Where are you going to get those kind of materials, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> Back on the station, Bashir and O'Brien have started their fun, fun game. And no shocker, Bashir is way better at Tongo than O'Brien is. Yeah, he's great. And it feels very related to the conversation that O'Brien and Bashir had in that uncomfortable X-Men episode <laughs> where, like, O'Brien understands that he would be overmatched if he played. He may even have an assumption that Bashir would be too, but he does not bend to what a statistical likelihood is right. in in any area of his life. Yeah. And so he pivots into Bashir being the racehorse for Tango. Yeah. We can beat him. We. Delicious. He wants to be Bashir's coach and he needs to figure out a way to get Bashir as interested in sticking it to Quark as he is. And they just basically make it a, a race war thing. <laughs> right. The thing about Ferengi urine <laughs> is that it is very unpleasant to drink. It's no prize to me, Miles. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather drink latinum, to be honest. Morn has been telling me about its flavors and the Sounds rather delightful. The thing that intrigues me most is its body temperature. <laughs> I like to get mine straight out of the mouth. Oh, God. Back on the Shenandoah, uh, we've got to get through this asteroid belt before getting to Sakara, uh, and they do. It's another reminder of what a great pilot Dax is. Yeah, 300-year-old pilot and uh, kind of a hot rodder. In fact, it could go faster. By all means. This plan sucks, though, because like the the base on Sakara is surrounded by the shield, and they can't land the runabout inside the shield. They got to land very far away in the jungle, and it takes a two day walk through it to get to the rendezvous point. I would say that Lasarin fucked the plan up. You think because because they show on the map like the where the complex is, and then the perimeter and then where he wants to meet them and he's like not even halfway to the edge of the shield like yeah Lacerin, meet us halfway <laughs> like you got to know this shit if you're a if you're a highly valuable operative that wants to get extracted yes but <laughs> if just a little bit more detail had been given to the idea of this being more of a prison break and the constraints on on Lacerin's ability 
to make this easier on them were more pronounced. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I wonder if if that wouldn't be a way to understand the situation better. Because because honestly, because they don't do that, it makes Lacerin look like a huge dick. Yeah. Speaking of detail, I really loved the detail when they uh, put their backpacks on and get their rifles and head out of the runabout. Mm-hmm. That there are two doors that open up. Like there's a little there's a little miniature airlock on the side of the runabout there. I don't think I've ever noticed that before. When uh, when Worf touches the the door lock thing, his fingernails get super long. Though it's a it's a problem they haven't fixed on these runabouts. Yeah, want to be careful what you touch. It, you should you do not want to look at that bowl of fruit in the back. It's fucked up. No, yeah, what that looks bad. like at this point. So we cut to the next morning, and Dax and Worf have made their tricorder into a thing that masks their life signs. But the trade off is that they can't use it as a tricorder anymore. So they've got to sort of navigate by sight. Right, and uh, they're kind of in a a pretty dense Rambo jungle. And and a pretty well well executed Rambo jungle, I, I want to say from a set design standpoint. Like they have to walk twenty kilometers in brush that they can't really see through, and they don't have a GPS or any way to like to negotiate it. I think one problem is that every time we see the them in a wide shot walking through this jungle, they're like zigzagging through it, and I'm like, that is not mm-hmm. the way you maintain you know, your sense of where you are. Like, that is right. bad orienteering. <laughs> We've both capped on the home and garden centrification of outside play sets before. Yeah. This all wants perennials. Now, home and giftware section. This seems like the best realized version of that. It seems like they got their arms around both the density and the variety of of plants. Yeah. But also, it, it looks like they're shooting in the round. Like, we're not putting the camera inside the set as much as we're we're keeping it outside and, and using the brush to obscure our vision. So, right. like, I understand, like, shooting this in a straight line isn't going to work because you just don't have the room to do it. But, I mean, by setting and resetting and making your actors move the way they are, I think it it's done so much more deftly than it usually is, especially in those early seasons of TNG. Yeah, you are not worried that Echo Papa 607 is anywhere nearby. Right, right. I mean, you can't see the psych here (laughs) by design. Back on Deep Space Nine, the trouble with uh, wanting to join an illegal gambling game is you got to know the password. You got to talk your way into that game. Think I can take these guys or what? Davey, this isn't a game for you. There's a level of trust that needs to be established with the scumbags that participate in things like this. And in the case of Deep Space Nine, of course, that's Quark. And one way he limits his uh, exposure to law enforcement shutting down his gambling operation is uh, is by only letting Ferengis play. Dax is the only non-Ferengi that's ever been allowed to play in this Tongo game. I wish I wasn't such a Ferengi racist because I thought I recognized the players in this game that weren't Quark. <laughs> and I'm not sure those were the people that I thought they were. Yeah. I think that part of that is probably that they have like a limited number of molds for the prosthetic makeup and they reuse it on background Ferengis. Right. I'm not a Ferengi racist. It's the molds. It's a- this is a byproduct of the loaf. Yeah. It's got to be the loaf. 
I love this setup because Bashir has to talk his way in, but he doesn't have to do much talking once O'Brien makes with the suitcase of latinum. <laughs> yeah, our money spends this is, here. This is one of the props that I would really want. Oh yeah, because I love I love when you, when O'Brien opens up the suitcase. It's got the the pick and pull liner inside, and it's got like what is it like just four <laughs> strips? It's got very little inside. That giant suitcase. It's a lot of fun. Quirk says it's a, a high stakes game and that the buy-in is five strips. You need five G's just to sit in this game. Five strips doesn't mm. sound high stakes to me. Five strips in the suitcase. I guess they knew what the buy-in was. Here's the problem. Uh, I mean, it's made into such a, a giant sum. It is quite literally all O'Brien and Bashir <laughs> have. So the stakes are high for them. This is a thing that like... You ever hear that story about Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan, famous degenerate gambler, uh, was asked by someone in the locker room if if he wanted to play cards against them. And Jordan's like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. And uh, and the other guy's like, well, what do you want to play for? What's the stakes? And Michael Jordan's like, what would make you uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> this is what's threaded through this buy-in scene. Yeah. It's that this is all Bashir and and O'Brien have, and that's what makes the stakes high. It's it's not that the stakes are high to Quark and company, I don't think. I guess my answer to that would be any amount of money would make me uncomfortable. Sure, yeah. You just feel a lot more than I do, though. <laughs> that's how you feel anything, is is by putting yeah. your, your assets it's on the line? It's making by myself, making myself uncomfortable financially. <laughs> this... Game does not go well, Enterprise. I mean, it, it's it goes well in the sense that Bashir lasts, and in any sort of tournament game, when you when you make it to the final two, I think that's a very good sign. Yeah, I kind of wondered if there was some mechanic in Tongo because they say they say no coaching between rounds at some point when O'Brien mm-hmm. yells at Bashir. So I wondered if all those Ferengi hanging out by the bar are waiting to come back in for another round of the game. Oh, I wonder. But it does feel like one of those scenes in Rounders where, like, this is the last dough they've got, and yeah, it's uh, like it 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 all has to happen here. And Cork plays plays a lot of mind games with Bashir. He's uh, he kind of turns the the scene into a scene about the torch that both he and Bashir still carry for Dax, regretting that she got married to somebody else. It's the game within the game that has always been there. Like whenever you watch Dax play Tongo, she's giving shit and taking shit the whole time. Yeah. And up until this moment, I never really recognized that for the gamesmanship that it was. Like so often you see it as just conversation right. among friends or frenemies, but you see it here in, in a slightly different context. You immediately recognize it yeah. as something as something darker. Indeed. And O'Brien sees it for for what it is, but Bashir does not. Bashir, I mean, they they also say something about how like O'Brien is much more of a strategic thinker than Bashir is, but Bashir mm-hmm. can like do the do the math part of this game, and uh, I think uh, I think the scene is about proving that you need both to do gambling. You know, like you need to be doing doing the probabilities, but also thinking strategically and playing the player that you're playing against. I like that Bashir isn't just a cheat code of of a mind. Like he has a Achilles heel. Yeah. And and it is the 
It is the conversation around Dax. It's, it's the it's his lack of guile. Yeah, and and Quark takes Bashir down ably. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the end of the episode. Interestingly, <laughs> like that's the end of the B story, basically. Yeah, yeah. Gambling over. We cut back to the jungle. It's kind of montage for a while, like lots of like, you know, using a mechleth, like a machete to hack through underbrush. Dax getting some kind of bug bite or rash that Worf needs to treat. Like this is a, this is rough bush that they're going through here. Venezuela, that was some mean bush. The editor for the episode just had their NLE set for like all cross dissolve for every transition. <laughs> yeah, it's just automatically adding that as they drop clips into the timeline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen more cross dissolves in an episode yeah, than this one. It was fun. Now they hunkered down for the night. Worf is a little bit chilly, so they put the astronaut blanket around him. He says he's he'd rather be in pain than cold. I love this. <laughs> this little detail. More pain. Less cold. And then much like my uh, brilliantly timed Raskin open at the beginning of this episode, they mm. they hear a little story in three acts by listening to the calls of mating animals in the in the underbrush. <sighs> Another happy couple. I really wonder what the test audio could have been for <laughs> these sounds and how much they played around with what it could be. Just leave in the script supervisor. That's what I say. Yeah. Ka 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 ka. <laughs> Auga au. I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna shoot. <laughs> I'm gonna fill you up. <laughs> this this is interrupted when they hear like the classic twig snap of bad guys nearby in a forest setting, and uh, right. and they they clear their campsite super quickly. Like more quickly than any campsite has ever been struck. They they get this stuff all hidden away and jump behind a log and three Jem'Hadar come out of the forest. Worf shoots first. Yeah. This scene reminded me of something that I think is a little bit ugly about the Jem'Hadar, which is that they are bad guys that we don't feel bad about seeing killed in great numbers. Uh-huh. Even though they are slaves. Right. Like the... the it does seem weird that Star Trek introduced a character like this that is like designed to feel dangerous a little bit, but also to be like killable in in large numbers without us empathizing with them. This is something that Star Trek has been unable to articulate for 25 years, though. Like, I feel like the first time an idea like that was as sophisticatedly put was in Star Trek Picard when... Picard finally said, like, the Borg are, are victims. Right. They, they are not monsters the way that we think of them. And, I and like, this is not uh, spoiler even... Spoiler alert, Adam. <laughs> this is not even close to how we are to look at yeah. the Jem'Hadar here. No, I mean, this is, this is uh, proposed to us as a rad action scene where Worf, like, flings a mechleth into a guy's neck. You would both sides the Jem'Hadar... Ben, 
That's classic you. I'm I'm just uh, I'm just trying to say like I think that this is a, a an area in which like I think Deep Space Nine is a good show, but I think it slipped up in this one respect. If you were to be manipulated into feeling sorry for the Jem'Hadar based on our conversation or maybe your own personal feelings about them, uh, the reminder that they shoot weapons with anticoagulants in them yeah. is is a reason to hate them anew because when Dax gets hit, uh, she's bleeding pretty bad. And this is a nice callback about these weapons. We know this about their, their beam weapons that, that they make it so that soldiers on the battlefield must care for the injured that makes the death slow and yeah and painful and 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 bad for everyone around not just the victim i got a little confused about the timeline here because it was like there's like three days and there's 20 kilometers and they've slept for two nights and we've got 17 cross dissolves yeah so how long is a dissolve <laughs> how close each? are they to the rendezvous point or not uh-huh but the episode pretty quickly makes you understand that there's still quite a lot of walking to be done, and they're going to try and keep doing it despite the fact that Dax has an openly bleeding wound that won't stop, and there's nothing they can do about that till they get to a starbase. When Worf stops them, you know, during one of their many breaks that they have to take, he looks down at the dressing and... It looks exactly like a strawberry, Ben. That's how you know it's bad. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It's got little little pips, little seeds evenly distributed on it. I am not laughing at what they were able to do here design-wise. Like the strawberry part was funny to me, but what they do with Terry Farrell's makeup in making her look more and more sickly as time goes on, I think is really great. I think yeah. the episode does a, a great job. Uh, makeup wise throughout because like this first scene in the daytime after she gets hit she already looks terrible and i was like oh man they took it too far too early because there's still a bunch of episode left but she gets worse and worse (laughs) yeah you yeah i thought the same thing like you see her initially and you're like you got to give yourself a place to go right uh cosmetically here (laughs) and I didn't realize how bad they could do they could get it, but um, it's actually yeah. al- also hard to tell who's taking Dax's injury worse because she is cranky and not putting up with Worf's bullshit that much. Your blood pressure has dropped another twenty percent. Love that bedside manner. But he's also like really beating himself up for having allowed it to happen. If I had not been joking with you, I would not have allowed the Jimbadar to get so close. Conferring all of the responsibility for it on himself. Uh, and also, like, super eager to, like, do the mission, despite the fact that his wife has strawberry belly. <laughs> I expected there to be a reference to, like, this is why husbands and wives shouldn't go on away missions together. Like, you only get a hint of of how problematic, as a rule, that might be toward the end of the episode. But at no point do either of them reconcile the fact that, like... They shouldn't even be here like this. (laughs) This is a bad idea. I also wondered, like, there's, it makes sense that they have to clear away from the campsite where they were because they they think that somebody might come looking Mm -hmm. for those Jem'Hadar. But why does she keep having to come with him after that? Like, can't he, like, have her stop somewhere and rest and he goes and makes contact with Lucerne? I 
Because that's where they get eventually, but we have like three scenes of them like sniping at each other and then reconciling and then re recommitting themselves to the mission before he decides to do that. The headcanon that I have is sort of undone by the choice that Worf eventually makes. But up until that point, I was like, because they don't have tricorder mapping, if he left her, he would lose her. Like, he'd never be able to find her again. Yeah. And I fully expected that to be baked into the conflict here, but it was never never about the logistics. It was all about the emotions of of the idea of leaving her. I think, yeah, maybe... Maybe your headcanon is right, though, because by the time they make that decision, they're very close to where Lacerin is supposed to meet them. So maybe the risk is lower. <laughs> Worf is like, I am hearing the single brass instrument of bleeding out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, her blood pressure is lowering. Apparently, they, yeah. they travel with plasma that he can inject into her. Like, that's one of the things in the backpack is, like, lots of plasma is... When we see it get injected, she's like, oh, more plasma. Great. Which means that, like, what is, like, a third of their away kit just plasma canisters? <laughs> Do they have another third dedicated to plasma canisters for him? Because I can't imagine that they have compatible plasma. Maybe Worf stood over the Gem Hadar bodies, hit triangle, and looted them for that <laughs> plasma. <laughs> and he also decided to wear one of their hats. <laughs> Yeah, Worf uh, took some of the plasma himself. He has a little more dead eye. <laughs> yeah, but it did lower his stamina. It's, right. it's one of those ones that's a bit of a trade-off. Finally, we, we reach that point, Ben. She can't go any further, and she needs surgery at a starbase, and they don't have one of those in the jungle. So... Dax does that thing where he tells Worf, he, she's sort of old yeller's Worf. She's like, you got to go complete the mission. Yeah. Just go. And then she starts Get getting mean to him. Yeah. Yeah. Crying. Uh, she's crying when he leaves and he, uh, yeah. he does it. He runs off into the, into the jungle. He comes to a clearing. Did you get real English patient vibes here? Like when he left her, I was like, this could get really interesting. Yeah. Like, what if he came back and she was dead? There's been an accident. I need a doctor. I was wondering. I honestly was. I couldn't remember how how this episode went. And I was like, man, is this the one where... I don't want to say anymore. What are you, what, what are you talking about, Ben? <laughs> but are you saying something happens to Jadzia Dax? Not necessarily. I mean, they do sort of imply that, right? When he gets frustrated and runs back to her, he finds a a passed out Dax and has to has to check for pulse. Mm. But he's able to uh, fireman carry her back to the runabout, and uh, we catch up with him uh, waiting in uh, in the waiting room in Six Bay, back on Deep Space Nine. She's in surgery, and uh, Captain Cisco enters the episode for the first time. Bashir, we cut to Bashir in surgery using like a a strawberry stem huller. (laughs) Scalpel. Huller. Can you wipe my brow a little bit and give me a drink of some urine? (laughs) 
This is one of like of all of the weird edits we've got in this episode. This edit is maybe the most most jarring. That cut back to Deep Space Nine after after Worf puts Dax on his back. Yeah, because a lot of desperation is omitted there, right? Yeah, yeah. Worf has to admit to Captain Sisko that he bailed on the mission. Yeah, because he did not have the heart to leave his wife behind. It was it was a telltale heart situation when he was running through the jungle, and he was hearing it He's, get louder and louder in his ears. He says, "Well, Captain, sometimes the needs of my dicks outweighs the needs of the many." <laughs> and then uh, Cisco gestures to his own single dick, and he's like, "Or the one." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean he's he's literally traded his wife's life for potentially the lives of millions and Cisco makes him admit that and he says you may never get a command. Are we still selling a the warrior the legends shirt at our store? I think that that was a very it's... limited run great okay. <laughs> great shirt that we sold like 8 of. I cannot wait till we get to go back out and tour again and and we and we meet those 8 people cuz those 8 people are awesome. Those eight people see the show for free. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thus doubling down on the terrible investment that that shirt was. That is commitment to the bit. Yeah. Worf may never get a command of his own after this jam up, but Ben Sisko totally understands the choice he made. I love the world building of this dialogue here because... On the surface, it's it's reprimand and it's bad, but I love the idea that they can't really publicly punish Worf because it was an intelligence mission, yeah, and they can't reveal to anyone in Greater Starfleet that it had happened or what their capabilities are. So it's right. It's another secret shame for Worf, isn't it? Yeah, he collects those. I, he's got a he's got a wall full of secret shame trading cards. Yeah, I I just love how how there's that kind of repetition for him. Yeah, that's good. The button on the episode is a little exchange between Worf and Jadzia when she wakes up from her surgery. She asks, "Went the mission well?" and he and he breaks it to her that uh, he just so he he chose her over the mission, and uh, she understands the weight of that. It's a very sweet and tender scene. I understand why Worf doesn't have many friends on the station because you know he would always choose to, like, he'd get invited out by by people and he'd, he'd always want to stay home right. with her. Yeah. His love language is a dereliction of duty, I, I guess you would say. <laughs> yeah. Did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here. Now, okay, okay, let's do it. Yeah, and really a lot more than I thought I would in the beginning. I mean, this presented itself as a very predictable kind of A story, B story, you know, silly B, serious A, Uh rescue mission. Like, you think you know how the story is going to go, and then halfway through when the B story fell out and we committed to the A entirely, like, that was a technology the show never does. Right. Like, like it, it confines us into that one lane throughout. And then the way the story ended, I thought was, uh, was super affecting. And it made me 
it made me like Worf more than I did before it started. It's a great Worf episode, I think, because it's a great Michael Dorn episode. Yeah. And he's an actor who hasn't had a lot of good episodes lately. I think he I think he needed this one. Yeah. And the reason it's such a good Michael Dorn episode is because it plays into his strengths instead of fitting him into a weird backstory box, which he's so often relegated to, right? Right. Like, like he's Michael Dorn as Worf is a very good storyteller when he's not given a super long story to tell with a bunch of background music playing. Like when he's just sincere and a matter of fact about his life and and his myth-making, yeah. like he's far more interesting. And also he's given an opportunity to be funny without trying to be funny. And that is crucial because when you sense the hand of the writer's room trying to make something funny and like brute force it that way... Yeah. It never is. And Worf is, is genuinely funny in several parts of this episode, I think, because it's just so honest about who he is as a character. So, yeah, I did like it. Yeah. the I mean, the, the whole motif of whether Worf is funny or not and, you know, was he considered funny on the Enterprise? Was the Enterprise a boring ship? Is like, mm-hmm. it feels a little bit like the writer's room is just dragging the show that they spun off from at first yeah. and then you realize like no this is just like honoring the arc of this character as being like a real arc right and uh, i liked it yeah i thought it was a good episode nice job guys <laughs> attaboy we're, we're proud of you <laughs> at greatest gen <laughs> well uh i'm also proud of anyone who gets a priority one message on our show adam do you want to see if we have any of those in the inbox I believe we do. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message is from Clayton. And it's to Nicole. Those are exclamation points in my voice, in case in case you couldn't tell. Those are coming through loud and clear there, little buddy. I got you another P1, Nicole. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> oh, and this one ends in a period, so. Ben and Adam, thanks for helping us get through the pandemic. Hope everyone out there is safe and healthy. Also... Please join me in wishing my wife, Nicole, a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Nicole. Live long and prosper. All right. This is great. This makes me recall the the days of normal life, priority one messages, when it's <laughs> birthdays and anniversaries yeah. that we then celebrate months after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> the good old days, Ben. Yeah. Happy birthday, Nicole. We have another priority one message here that is from Michelle and it's to Matthew and it goes like this. On our wedding day, neither of us could have ever guessed that 10 years later we would be in quarantine with only a box of wine, some takeout, and a wish for the kids to go to bed early as our celebration. Nonetheless, I couldn't imagine going through these hard times or anything in life without you by my side. Happy 10 year anniversary. Wow. Nicely done. Anniversaries and birthdays. This has been great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Congrats to Michelle and Matthew. Yeah. For uh, for making it to 10. That's awesome. Making it to 10 under these conditions seems uh, <laughs> seems like you should get credit for 12. Yeah. Yeah. These say. are these are dog years. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, good on you guys. And uh, anyone that would like to celebrate a big life event or otherwise can get a priority one message by going to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and 200 bucks for a commercial message. And we really appreciate it because it helps us cover the cost of producing this program. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. Zap in. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Yeah, I think I gave it away early in the episode. I think when Bashir looks at those complicated rules of Tongo for a half a second and then says that he's ready to play, you could write parenthetically in the script something to the effect of like confidently or or dismissedly or yeah. whatever. But this is all Alexander Siddig. Like yeah. like this is this is coming from him and his knowledge of character and I, I I just love this moment from him. It's so fast. Yeah. But it's so strong. Yeah, I'm going to give it to that moment as well, Adam. It really reminds me of a uh, a thing that would happen on that show Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip where somebody would like hand their comedy sketch script to somebody and they would like glance at it for that amount of time and say this is good stuff yeah and <laughs> and like that show gets made fun of for that but like this is actually a good use case of that kind of hubristic you know depiction of somebody like oh yeah i get the gist this is fine my wife and i have been watching 30 rock and we got to the episode where aaron sorkin is is a guest person on the show oh wow and for that show to make fun of aaron sorkin a person who made a show that was like a serious 30 rock yeah because they came out like the same year right yeah like like <laughs> all of the all of the complexity of his appearance on that show and the backstory <laughs> to it i think is great yeah but i love awesome. how i love how the show and he makes fun of himself in that moment for those yeah. reasons that's cool yeah I, uh, I need to pick that show back up. I haven't seen every episode of it. It's a good show. It's fast. It's yeah. real fast. Almost as fast is our progress through the game of buttholes, World of the Prophets, uh, where currently our runabout is on square 58. It's now in our show where we figure out what the next episode is going to be and how we are going to review it. That's true, Adam. The next episode of the show is season six, episode 17, Wrongs Darker Than Death or Night. Kira learns that her mother was once Gul Dukat's mistress? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> God damn. I think if there's one person who's not, who's not going to take that well, it's going to be Kira. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be a rough one. Let me head over to gach.biz slash game so I can roll this bone, huh? Got to do that, Ben. I'm looking at our runabout and it's blinking on square 58. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right. 58. And I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. Looks like the the hazards ahead are that, uh, that space butthole, the real long one that takes us way far down or potentially... A starship mine in which we would have to build a model of a starship while recording the show. Oh God, that that would just be great. I'm <laughs> I'm having to seal myself up into my studio office. Famously, my home has no air conditioning, <laughs> and so the idea of of being confined with a bunch of paint fumes. Uh, Excites me greatly, to be honest. You could do like a paper craft model or a Lego kit or something. 
Um, I'm, I'm gonna get into the huffing. I'm okay. sure. Yeah. All right. Up to you. Did I win? Hardly. Oh boy, Adam, I've rolled a five. I have jumped over that space butthole. Thank goodness. Uh, and uh, we're right in between the butthole and the Starship Mine square. On, yeah. uh, square it, 60. It taints the butthole and it taint the, the model ship. <laughs> yeah, we're on the taint that is 63. Mm. Regular old episode next time. Best kind. Best kind. I mean, maybe I'll do some huffing before that. Just just to do it. All right. Well, uh, if you'd like to uh, uh, ask us a question that we could answer potentially on an upcoming Marin, head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice five-star review and ask the question in your review. Yeah, reviews are, uh, are a great way to support the show and get the word out about it. You know, no one knows how podcasts are elevated into the greater podcast zeitgeist. But what my theory presupposes is that five-star reviews could really help. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> Another thing that really helps is supporting the show financially. You can do that by heading to MaximumFun.org slash join. If this show is uh, is weekly listening to you, then I think it's got some value. And uh, you could help us by uh, helping us uh, cover the cost of making it and uh, you know this is how we make our living so we really appreciate everyone that does that a lot of creative support comes to the show via people like Bill Tilly Bill Tilly is making comedy trading cards week in week out his work never ends and we thank him for it you can find him on Twitter at Bill Tilly 1973 uh, his cards use the hashtag greatest gen just how you can talk to other friends of DeSoto on Twitter. That is true. Uh, there are lots of great people on the internet that want to talk to you about this program. There's a Reddit sub. There's a number of Facebook groups. Uh, I would recommend if you're interested in the Facebook groups, maybe start with the main one and then uh, and then make your selection based on how you would like to specialize, whether that's the parenting group or the cooking group or the lgbtq group or uh the jim shimoda group which are all about getting those sweet sweet gains yeah i'd be look nothing is going to get me to rejoin facebook ben <laughs> but i am very curious how the jim shimodas are doing with the uh, at-home gymnasium yeah yeah i wonder how that goes we might um, have to make a new shirt ben for jim shimoda it's, yeah. it's the same Jim Shimoda shirt as ever with the headbands, with the sweatbands, but uh, but they're like, what? They're doing they're doing dips with a dining room <laughs> chair? <laughs> I did what, a, what's uh, going on there? I did some burpees at home the other day, and I've been sore and angry about it ever since. That's a bad way to feel after a workout. Yeah. Not happy. Well, anyways, uh, all of that stuff is fun stuff to do. Listen to other shows on Maximum Fun. Lots of great shows, including The Greatest Discovery, our other Star Trek podcast in which we've covered Discovery and Star Trek Picard, and Friendly Fire, our war movie podcast where we talk to our buddy John Roderick about a randomly selected war movie every week. And it's a really fun way to talk about history and culture and filmmaking and uh, we really have a great time doing it. You've got the time. Subscribe. Even if you don't listen, just subscribe. That helps yeah, the show. That does help the show. With that, 
We'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which wonders how far away from the tree the Kira apple falls. (laughs) A lot of questions about Kira's mom. Dude, it's your mom. Kira's mom has got it going on. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.